Amen. How we doing? All right. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Glad you're with us today. Um, in the past, uh, we uh, have done this thing where we have uh, made some letters available for uh, our college students uh, to maybe take home over break time to share with their parents. Uh, just giving some info about Redeemer, but also inviting uh, maybe your parents to consider prayerfully uh, making a, a special gift to our body. Uh, and so we thought that might be a good thing to, to do again uh, and make those letters available. And so if you're a college student in the room and you would be willing to consider taking one of those home to your parents, would you raise your hand? And there are going to be some people coming around the room with those letters. Uh, to just hand them to you. Let me also say that we understand that for some of you, that might not be uh, the best idea or a welcome thing in your home. Uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, became a a Christian at college. Uh, I would not have probably taken one of these letters home to my family. That wouldn't have gone over well. Um, So we understand that. But if if your family would be open to receiving a letter like that, uh, we really uh, would be grateful if you would consider taking one home. It could really be a a great blessing to our body here uh, in this season. also want to thank all those of you who were uh, here for our care clinic yesterday. If you came as a guest, if you uh, were here to serve, we are so grateful for you. Uh, just so you know, yesterday uh, wasn't just our largest uh, kind of wintertime care clinic, but it was actually our largest care clinic ever, period. Uh, over 275, yeah. It was awesome. Over 275 uh, guests were, uh, were able to come through, uh, and we're grateful for all of those of you who, uh, who attended, who served, uh, gave your time to just uh, serve and be advocates, to walk with folks through there, uh, you know, and, and really, uh, next time around, we could use even more advocates. I think we had about like 17 advocates for 275 people, so do the math. We could use probably some more, more help like that the next time. So plenty of needs in our community, clearly plenty of opportunities uh, to come alongside, not just offer uh, things and stuff, but to really offer a relational presence uh, and invitation to know Christ and to know community, uh, which is why we, we do care clinics. Uh, great way to seek shalom for our city and share the hope of Jesus here. Uh, so thank you for donating. Thank you for serving. Thank you for your uh, coming and being a part of that. If you were a guest yesterday, you're here today. We're glad you're here. And we pray that you would find here a, uh, a community, a family to belong to, to grow in faith in Christ with. And so uh, we hope you'll continue to journey with us. Well, we're nearing the end of our study in the book of Galatians. Uh, it might be helpful to kind of, at this point, kind of reflect and remember and think back on kind of the big picture of uh, this letter, uh, really the central purpose of the, the, this letter from the Apostle Paul to the churches of Galatia. And, and really, this letter to the Galatians is a full-scale assault on any sort of perversion of the gospel. That's what it is. And that assault, uh, Paul begins that assault by simply laying out before us very plainly what the gospel is. The gospel, of course, is good news, right? That's literally what the word gospel means. It means good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, His living, his dying, his being raised uh, to accomplish something that you and I would never be able to accomplish for ourselves on our own. Uh, The gospel is not some new morality to try to follow and live out. Uh, It's not a new philosophy to subscribe to. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, by his life, death, and resurrection, has supplied you with the righteousness that you need to be able to stand before a holy God, forgiven, accepted, loved, and brought all the way into the family of God. Jesus has supplied you with a righteousness that you could never possibly attain for yourself. All of your efforts to do good will fall miserably short of the righteousness that you need to stand before Him accepted. Because God's standard is perfection. God demands perfect obedience because He is perfectly holy. But God, in His great love and mercy, He intervened for you and I in our lack of holiness by sending His Son, Jesus, that that He might provide for us the righteousness that is so beyond any righteousness that you and I could ever try to to get on our own. He he supplies that righteousness, Jesus does, by by suffering the wrath of God that is meant for us in our sin, uh, in our place on the cross. He absorbs the full cup 
of God's wrath poured out on him there. Eternal separation from God. He, he suffers on our behalf at the cross that this righteousness might be received and credited to our accounts by faith in Jesus. By faith in Jesus, you are counted righteous, Paul tells us. That God, when He looks at you now in Christ, He delights in you every bit as much as He delights in the Son. Let that sink in for a moment. That God, when He looks upon you, when He thinks of you, Christian, he, he loves you. He rejoices over you. He delights in you every bit as much as he does in Jesus. That is good news. That's good news. It's good news because all of this has been accomplished by the finished work of Jesus. It's not because of anything that you've done or I've done, but all because of what he has done for us. It's good news because it's finished. Jesus declares that from his cross. The work is complete. Your forgiveness and adoption into the family of God have been accomplished in him. You're saved, reconciled, redeemed by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Paul says this is the gospel, the one true gospel. There is no other gospel. And he declares it, this gospel, boldly. He declares it plainly because there's a reality that we all face temptations to sort of run off the road that is the one true gospel into one ditch on either side of the road, one, one ditch or another. There's a temptation on one side towards legalism. And really, that's very much the temptation that, that Paul's directly addressing in the churches of Galatia, uh, a temptation uh, for many of us here today, if you've grown up in church, or even if you didn't grow up in church and you're like me, you, I didn't grow up in church, but I've been in the church now for over 20 years uh, of, of journeying with Jesus. And so uh, very much so, this can be a temptation for us to kind of swerve off the road into to, to, to legalism. And legalism says, yes, Jesus saved me by his finished work on the cross. I'm forgiven because of what he has done for me, but I need to do these things and not do these other things in order to maintain my acceptance with God in order to maintain God's approval of me or, or maybe to, for some of you, to earn God's approval of you. The gospel is not that Jesus saves you to a list of rules to keep. That's not the gospel. Um, a list of rules to keep that will make you holy and good. That's not good news. The main argument of Galatians is that if, if you are attempting to earn or keep the favor of God by your own behavior and religious performance, then you are enslaving yourself, and you will never walk in true freedom. The other ditch to avoid is that of license, and license says, Jesus paid for my sins, so now I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want to live, do whatever I want to do. Because right? God will forgive me. He's already forgiven me, and He will continue to forgive me because that's what God does. He forgives. So I can do whatever I want. And, and essentially, license is to make yourself your own God. Right? You are the ultimate authority. I get to live however I want because I know better than God what's good for me. I know better than God when it comes to marriage when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to fill in the blank with whatever it is. I know what the Bible says, what it tells me, but that doesn't apply to me because it's cultural or it just doesn't matter. It's old. To say that, to think that, to live like that is to live in open rebellion against God. It is to say to Jesus, you know what, Jesus, I think I make a better God than you do. But can I be honest with you? And, and you should be honest with me too. Uh, do you know who else thinks you would make a really good God other than yourself? No one. Like... Uh, your family that you've grown up with, your, your, you know, your, your friends, uh, the folks in your community group, uh, the people that you work with, they're never thinking like, you know who would really be a great God? Uh, no, no, no one thinks that. Like, no, no one else ever thinks that about you or about me. No, only, we're the, we're the only ones who ever think that about ourselves. 
which should point to the foolishness, right? It's, it's a unanimous vote. Everyone knows that you would make a terrible God. But that doesn't usually stop us from worshiping ourselves and trying to operate like we're God. So those are the two ditches to avoid, legalism and license. And in this letter, Paul is seeking to destroy both of them, uh, essentially by keeping the truth of the gospel, the one true gospel, front and center. The righteousness, the righteousness that you need is found in Christ alone. The acceptance that you long for is found in Christ alone. He has paid your debt in full. He is your righteousness. He is your acceptance. And all of that comes by faith in Him alone. And the fuel to follow Jesus, to obey God, is the gospel. The fuel for holiness is the gospel. The love of God in Christ to rescue you from sin and death, that motivates you with love, not with fear. Right? The motive that you are loved in Christ, delighted in. And after laying out what the gospel is in the, in the later portions of the letter here, Paul has shown us how the gospel gives shape and impacts not only our walk, our personal walk with Christ and relationship with Him, but, but our relationships with one another, our relationships with, with other people, the kind of community that we are to be in light of the gospel, a community where we love and serve one another, a community where the fruit of the Spirit is increasingly growing in our midst, a community where we pursue one another in love with gentleness when we're erring in sin. A community where we really bear one another's burdens. A community where, again, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are growing among all the people all together, right? Because it's a singular fruit, not you know, multiple aspects. One fruit, it grows together. And as we head in this next to last passage that we're going to look at in the book, that's what we continue to see, the impact of the gospel on our holiness and our relationships within the community of faith. We're at Galatians chapter 6, uh, 6 through 10. Yes, that's what we call a 10-minute introduction. Uh, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Hear the word of the Lord. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather, and we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that, it, that we wouldn't just hear words and, and leave this place today, but Lord, that your word would really come to rest upon our souls Lord, that we would understand the truth that we reap what we sow. And Lord, by your grace, you would move us and empower us to sow seeds of faith, to sow seeds to the Spirit, that there might be increasing fruit in our lives, holiness in our lives, and increasing belonging within our community as we care for one another and serve one another. Lord, would you have your way with us today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. So at, at the end of the letter here, it, kinda, it may appear kind of at first glance that like you kind of have a series of disconnected instructions and exhortations here. But as you look a little closer, uh, you see a connecting link here. And that connecting link is this, the principle of sowing and reaping. Uh, in verse 7, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Or we might just simply say it this way. You reap what you sow. Right? I'm sure you've heard somebody say that before. Uh, this is a very basic principle of agriculture, uh, which I think I've shared before what a wizard in agriculture I am. Um, but it, it, I do know this enough, right? If you want to go grow tomatoes, uh, then you're going to want to use tomato seeds, you're going to want to plant tomato seeds if you want tomatoes. You don't plant tomato seeds with the hope that you're going to have corn, 
right? Like that's not going to work out for you. You're going to be disappointed. You don't just hope that somehow, some way, these tomato seeds will turn into corn. No, you reap what you sow. But it also works in the sense of what we read in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So if you want an abundant harvest, uh, you can't just sow a couple of seeds. You have to, you, you have to sow an abundance of, of seed. But this principle doesn't just apply to agriculture. Uh, think about it this way. If you want to learn how to play the guitar, uh, you can't simply just buy a guitar and then hang it on the wall in your living room and think, now I know how to play the guitar, right? I, I got one uh, that makes me a guitarist now. That, that's not how that works, right? Like it, if you want to learn to play the guitar, you're going to need to practice a lot over and over and over again. If you want to not only learn how to play, strum some chords, but you really want to excel as a guitarist, that's somebody who's a real guitarist, uh, not me, but, uh, you know, then you're going to need to practice rightly and abundantly in order to kind of reap that harvest of really mastering the, the, the instrument. You're going to have to devote yourself to learning it. Or you want to learn to speak a new language, right? You, you don't just download Duolingo or get Rosetta Stone and then suddenly, hey, I can speak, I'm fluent in Portuguese now. I'm ready for Brazil. Uh, you know, I, I can speak Spanish now. I, I have Duolingo on my phone. Uh, that will do it for me. No, you have to actually use it, right? Uh, you have to study. You have to practice. You have to try to engage very clumsily in conversation with that language over and over and over again. If you never pick up the guitar, you won't know how to play it because you reap what you sow. And it, if you never work at learning and practicing speaking Spanish, you're never going to be able to have a fluent conversation, a meaningful conversation, because you reap what you sow. This principle is true. And it's not just true with farming, music, and language. It's also true spiritually. Whatever you sow, that is what you will also reap spiritually. Look again at the entirety of verse 7. He says there, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, Paul doesn't say don't, don't be deceived just to say it. But he says it because far too often, you and I, we are deceived. We are deceived. I mean, I've had conversations that go something along these lines numerous times in my life. Right? Someone will say, uh, you know, I just don't understand why I feel so distant from God. Right? I, I, I feel disconnected from Him. And I'll ask a question like this. When was the last time you had any meaningful time in God's Word for yourself? Oh, it's been a couple months. Right? Those things are not completely unrelated. Do you understand? Those things are not completely unrelated. Uh, it's not that reading your Bible makes you acceptable before God and therefore justifies you and, and you're saved by your Bible reading. That's not what I'm saying. It's the finished work of Christ that makes you acceptable to God. But Bible intake, reading, meditating, memorizing God's Word, is a means of grace. It's a means of grace. It's an avenue for drawing near to God, to experiencing Him, uh, tasting His grace and His goodness and that He's shown you in the finished work of Christ. Letting it really sink into your heart and renew you. Being in the Word is a way of sowing seeds of faith that reap a harvest of deeper intimacy and connection with God. Likewise, you, you might have all sorts of justification for uh, the things that you watch or listen to. Right? And I'm just going to be blunt with you. If you don't think that watching shows with graphic sex uh, in them might increase, right? Might not increase your, like it has no impact on, on my struggle with lust. Uh, watching shows with graphic sex all the time. You're a fool, right? You need to listen to Paul here. Do not be deceived. Those things are not disconnected from one another. If you don't think that the books that you read, the shows that you watch, the music that you listen to, the, the friends that you invest your life in deeply are not impacting your life, 
then you are at best naive, and at worst, you are a fool. Those things greatly speak in and give shape to our thought life and to our doing. So they, they, in, and they influence our character, who we are. Is shaped by those things. Now, don't be careful here. Like, I, I, uh, I'm not like advocating that uh, go get rid of all of your music. Like, just empty the files off the computer, right? Like, you know, uh, turn off your subscription or make sure you only subscribe to like some Christian music feed uh, only. Uh, you can only listen to Christian music. You should never go to the movies. Like, that is not what I'm saying. But I am advocating very strongly here that you should not be thoughtless about the things that you watch, the things that you listen to, the things that you read. Just mindlessly consuming whatever Netflix says you should watch. You know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have friends who don't believe in Christ. Uh, we talked about that last week, right? Like we absolutely need to be investing in relationships with people who do not know the Lord for the sake of sharing Christ with them, for the sake of being a real friend and meeting needs and caring for their souls and ultimately caring for their souls by sharing the good news of Jesus with them. But if the, the primary spheres of relationships that are really shaping you not the relationships you're reaching out and trying to invite people into the community that you really belong to. If the community that you really belong to is not pointing you back to Christ, there's probably a problem there. The relationships that give shape to your life at the deepest level should be relationships that point you back to Christ, that are anchored in gospel community in the local church. If you think it doesn't matter if you're abiding in God's word, then it doesn't matter that you're watching those images, then you are deceived. And you need to understand that God will not be mocked. God will not be taken lightly and nonchalantly. It's not that God's going to be vengeful. That's not the heart here. But the principle is true. You will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. You can't plant tomato seeds and hope that it's corn. It doesn't work that way. You can't expect to sow seeds of complacency and apathy and then reap a harvest of a fruitful, vibrant relationship with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You reap what you sow. And from this connecting link, Paul gives some application and encouragement about the kinds of seeds you and I are to be sowing. First, we are to be sowing seeds of holiness. That's really the heart of what's being talked about in verse 8. He says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Uh, here, Paul kind of returns to that, that, that theme of the battle that's going on within the life of every Christian between the flesh and the Spirit that he kind of discussed at length in, in Galatians 5, 16 through 25, uh, where he talked about the reality that, that there is, in, in the Christian life, this side of glory, there is going to be a battle between the, the over-desires, the sinful, like, idolatrous over-desires of the flesh and the good, godly desires of the Spirit. And the battle, that battle is remaining in view here. But this time Paul uses the imagery of a farm with two fields. Right? The flesh, the field of the flesh, the field of the spirit. Two fields where you can sow seed. And Paul says that the harvest you will reap depends on both where and what you sow. In other words, your holiness is not simply a product of your environment. Or your lack of holiness is not simply a product of your environment. You are not a helpless victim. But there is a very real sense in which the person you will become is being shaped by your conduct. Uh, Tim Keller, he puts it like this in his commentary. He says, sin against God sets up strains in the fabric of, uh, of the moral spiritual universe. Just as eating fatty food sets up strains in the physical fabric of your heart. If you sow seed poorly, you reap a poor crop and poverty. If you eat fatty foods, you reap a poor heart and early death. If you give in to your sinful nature, you reap spiritual breakdown and destruction. Paul's saying 
Sin makes things fall apart. To sow to the flesh is to cater to its over-desires, to, to feed them instead of seeking to crucify them. It's like saying, you know what I think would be a great pet for me to adopt? A, you know, just ferocious lion, uh, full-grown. I'm going to just bring that home with me, and I'm going to seek to cuddle up with that sucker, right? We're just going to get close. I'm going to pet him. He's going to be good to me. Uh, and, you know, I've seen when animals attack. You know where that's going, right? Destruction, devastation. The seeds you sow are most often your thoughts and your actions. So every time that you hold on to a grudge, every time you let your mind indulge in some impure fantasy, every time you fixate on what you don't have that you think you're entitled to have, you're sowing seeds to the flesh, seeds of sinfulness. Every time you give in to the pressure of the crowd when you know you shouldn't, every time that you look at pornography, every time that you speak a lie or tear someone down with your words, every time you choose entertainment or a little more sleep when you know you should get up and be in the Word and in prayer, every time you choose just scrolling through a bunch of nonsense on your phone instead of spending time with the Lord, you're sowing seeds to the flesh. Some of us spend so much of our time sowing to the flesh every day, and then we act surprised and shocked that we're not reaping holiness and abiding joy in the Lord. But God is reminding you here. He is speaking to you. Don't be deceived. Whatever you sow, that is what you will reap. And what this shows us is that holiness is a harvest, and whether you reap it or not depends mightily on what and where you sow. To sow to the Spirit is the same thing as to live by the Spirit or walk by the Spirit, as Paul discussed earlier. Much like sowing to the flesh, the seeds we sow to the Spirit are also our thoughts and our actions. Now, as I say that, uh, you're going to have to be very intentional with this, uh, like, like you, know, you would if you wanted to learn how to play the guitar, or you wanted to learn how to speak Spanish or Portuguese. It, it's not just going to happen, like instantly. You have to be intentional and focused. It's not going to happen because you have a Bible. I have a Bible. It sits on my desk. It's got a lot of dust on it. Um, that, that's not going to help you. You have to be intentional and focused. And, and, and we increasingly, right, we live in a culture where increasingly we have like the attention span of a squirrel, which by the way is really short, like one second. Unless there's an acorn, full focus, four minutes. Um, I Googled it. Um, anyway, but uh, you know, like it's, you know, like we, uh, we are just bouncing from thing to thing all the time. That's why, you know, we go to dinner with someone and, you know, we can't barely have a conversation before we're both looking at our phones. And then that's boring and we got to find something else. So there's a TV over there with a game on or whatever. You know, like we're just constantly bouncing from thing to thing. So we have some increasing challenges to being focused and intentional to sowing and sowing to the Spirit. We also live in a culture that expects instant results, right? If I order something online, I expect it to be at my house in two days or less. But you can't learn to play the guitar in two days or less. You can't learn to speak Spanish in two days or less. Um, in much the same way, you need to have a longer view in mind here when it comes to sowing seeds of holiness as you sow to the Spirit. Let me ask you this. What if you spent five minutes a day in silence and solitude? Which is going to probably, if you don't practice that at all, it's going to sound a little torturous even for just five minutes to completely unplug yourself from all your technology, put it all away, remove it from you, get alone in the silence, not reading anything, just being with God, seeking to listen to His voice, just quieting your soul before Him. Five minutes a day. Five minutes, that's not a long time, right? Right? What can happen in five minutes? What's the, what would be the point of that? But if you do that every day for the next year, that's uh, 1,825 minutes total. Uh, a day and a quarter, nonstop, of just being silent before the Lord. 
What if you took another 10 minutes to pray? Pray to God. To, to, to seek His heart. To, to share yours. Lift up your burdens. Pray His word. Again, maybe uh, the world doesn't change for you in that 10 minutes that you do that. But over the course of a year, that's another 3,650 minutes. 2.5 days of prayer. Two and a half days. What if we, instead of simply reading the Bible like it's a newspaper, um, you know, or a box to check off on, on some task list, you, you took just five minutes a day to focus on one verse, or one sentence even, to really let that soak into your life, into your soul. What if you, you looked at Romans 8.1? We read that earlier today too in our, our liturgy. But uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What if you took five minutes and you just really chewed on that verse? You really focused and meditated on that verse until you began to feel the freedom that is being declared in that verse. There is now no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. When you're doing that, you know what you're doing is, is you're, you're fixing your heart on the gospel. That Christ has suffered the penalty that you deserved for your sin. He has suffered the condemnation that was meant for you in your sin. And because he has absorbed the full cup of God's wrath, there is now no condemnation for you. You are not your sin. You are the righteousness of God. That's what's being declared in that. You are not marked by anything except the blood of Christ. If you did that, five minutes. We're, we're talking about 20 minutes a day, by the way, here, if you're counting. Um, I use a calculator. Math is not my strength humanities guy. Which over the course of the year, right, that's, that you're getting now to a total of five full days of, of just simply enjoying God, delighting in His Word, listening to His voice, sharing uh, your heart with Him, and having His heart shape yours. What if you were really crazy, right? And on top of that 20 minutes, you took another 10, maybe 15 minutes to just read. Maybe read some good books, that, that expound upon and help you understand and dig deeper into God's Word and His truth. Or, or you even just simply read more of God's Word itself. You know, most people can read about 250 words uh, a minute. Uh, some of you can read more than that. Uh, but you, you multiply that over, uh, you know, over the course of a year, right? Um, what you come up with is you're reading about 2,600 pages a year, or likely the equivalent of 10 or so good books, supplementing, encouraging you, pointing you back to the hope that you have in Christ. We're talking about 30 to 35 minutes a day. Let me ask you this. How much time do you spend reading about your favorite sports team? Uh, I know I I'm, can be pretty guilty on that. Uh, how, how much time do you spend on social media in a day? If you got your, like a Apple devices, what's your screen time uh, telling you at the end of the week? And you're like, good Lord, have mercy on me. I had no idea. Uh, right? How much time do you spend watching Netflix? See, th this is what I'm, I want us to understand. The reality that this exposes is not that you don't have time to invest in your relationship with the Lord. What, is it, what it exposes is that we are a bunch of lazy idolaters, because the reality is that you, it's not true that you don't have 20 or 30 minutes to spend with the Lord each day, to devote to Him. The reality is that you simply are not in awe of God enough to want to do that, to want to read His Word, to want to listen to His voice, to want to pray to Him. It's not that you can't. You don't want to. And you don't want to because you're not in awe of His goodness and His grace to you. You don't want to because the truth is is that there are things that you love more than Jesus. So those things get your time. Entertainment gets, gets our time. Our favorite sports team gets our time. 
And I'm not saying like, don't ever watch a show. Don't watch sports. But like, what are we prioritizing here? And I'm also not saying that you don't love God at all. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that there are things that you functionally love more than Him. And so that's where you spend your time. That's where your thoughts and your actions go. But friends, would you consider the love that God has for you in the person and work of Christ? Would you let that move you and motivate you to invest your time in Him? And don't do it for a day and say, well, I can't tell any difference, right? Spent 30 minutes today. I don't feel any different, right? I did it for a month. It's like the Bible reading plan. Beginning of the year, January will roll around here soon. People start the Bible reading plan. Come February, everybody's quoting Leviticus. <laughs> they never make it to Joshua, right? Like we, we get lost in Leviticus. Like we, you know, we tried. Don't do it for a month and quit because you're not seeing results. Have the long view. If you do this every day, right? Where will, where will this take you over the course of a year? Where will it take you over the course of the next five years? The next 20 years? Being faithful. The little bit of your time each day to be silent before the Lord, to pray to Him, to be in His Word, just chewing on a verse of Scripture, letting it sink into your heart. Here's what Paul says, it will reap eternal life. Now, he's not saying that reading your Bible and praying will save you, but he is saying that sowing to the Spirit will reap growth. It will reap the fruit of the Spirit increasing in your life. It will reap vitality and joy in Christ. And that will well up increasingly until the day where you see Jesus face to face and you enjoy the fullness of life and glory with Him forever and ever. You're to be sowing seeds of holiness, Christian. Not to keep God's approval, not to earn God's approval, but to enjoy it increasingly. Secondly, Paul says, you're to be sowing seeds of belonging. Here, uh, he, he talks here specifically about the relationship between those who are taught and those who, who teach and about caring for others and specifically caring, doing good to those who belong to the church. Look at verse 6. Um, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so what I think would be really good for us right now is if we could have the utility team grab those baskets again. And come around here and we're going to take up a special offering for me. That's a joke, by the way, if you're new here. This isn't a, like contribute to my jet fund church kind of thing going on. Uh, that, that's a joke. But in all seriousness, this is saying that it is absolutely appropriate for the community of faith, the, the local church, to take care of its pastors and its staff who, who preach God's word to them, who devote their lives to, to caring for their souls. Uh, Martin Luther says, uh, it is impossible for one man both to labor day and night to get a living and at the same time to give himself to the study of sacred learning as the preaching office requireth. Right? It's, it's a principle here, sowing and reaping. The teacher sows the seed of preaching God's word, investing in the lives of people, and he reaps a livelihood. He has a roof over his head. Uh, it's biblically appropriate. It's biblically appropriate for a church to care for some of its leaders who are devoted full-time to the church in that sense. But what's interesting about this verse, I think what's most interesting, is that the Greek word that's translated here as share is actually a form of the, the Greek word koinonia, which is the, the word fellowship, partnership. And so this isn't like a cold consumeristic exchange here where, where the, the teachers teach and so let's pay them. But rather, this is a sharing of our lives together in fellowship, in community with one another. It's a fellowship in belonging, where, the, where gospel care is going back and forth, being given and received by both parties here. The one taught and the one who teaches. Caring for our souls together, caring for one another's physical needs together. It's, it's one anothering that you see throughout the Bible. But there's more here. Verses 9 and 10, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap 
if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We are to be sowing seeds of of doing good. In other words, life in the church is not one of simply filling a seat. But that's not what it means to belong to a church as I go to one on Sundays. I have somewhere to be. We don't belong to the church in the sense that some people belong to a country club in order to enjoy the amenities and, and maybe gain some social capital. We don't belong to the church so other people can serve us and then we can simply consume and go home. We don't belong to the church so we can add more friends on Facebook and feel better about ourselves. We don't belong to the church so we can build our business. We don't belong to the church so we can gain some sense of having authority or getting a say. We belong to the church because God in His mercy and grace saves us to Himself and to one another. He reconciles us to God and to one another and puts us into the church. We belong to the church that together by sharing our lives and our gifts with one another, we might grow in holiness and maturity, encouraging one another, spurring one another on, pursuing one another when we're wandering away. We belong to the church that we might do works of ministry that bring glory to God, point others to the hope that they can have in Jesus and how they can receive and know His grace for themselves. We belong to the church that by God's design we might endure in the faith and receive God's help through brothers and sisters who love us enough to go after us. To have brothers and sisters who love us enough to share and really bear our burdens, the hardships that we face together. That we might have brothers and sisters that keep pointing us back to the gospel, reminding us where our righteousness is, where our acceptance is, and where our hope and joy are to be found. Belonging to the church is another expression for membership. And, and, and even though the word membership is not present in the scripture, guess what? Neither is the word trinity, but we're pretty convinced that that's a thing, right? Uh, yeah, that, that is a thing if you're not. Like, that's a pretty important doctrine that you should subscribe to, or you're not really a Christian. Uh, you know, like one God, three persons. Same way, membership's not in the scripture, but, but it's there. It's all over the scripture, There's an understanding of who belongs to the church, who doesn't belong to the church. There's an understanding of practicing biblical church discipline, which means removing someone from fellowship and belonging after they will not respond to those gentle, passionate, over and over again pursuits to call them back to the faith. Membership sets the boundaries for who truly belongs to the local body of believers. But membership is not a merit badge or a box to check off. Belonging means that we are sowing seeds. Sowing means that we're active. It means that we're committed to one another and belonging to one another, fellowshipping with one another, sharing our lives together, building one another up. It means we use our gifts and our resources and and our talents to do good to all, seeking shalom for our city, meeting needs in the community around us, Sharing Christ with other people together. It means that in our doing good, we prioritize caring for our brothers and sisters who also belong to the church. It's it's biblical to say, we're going to care for those who belong to the family first when they're in need, and then care outward from there. It's doing good involves praying for one another, listening to one another, confronting one another. It involves serving one another. Where are you serving? How are you serving right now in the church? If you're not serving, let me, know, let me just be straight with you. It's not because there aren't needs. It's not because we don't need you to serve. That's not the reason why you're not serving. I mean, again, 17 advocates yesterday for 275 people who came through. We could use more. There, there's need there. Um, we have around 100 kids in Redeemer, uh, in Redeemer Kids every Sunday. A hundred kids, what an opportunity. A a mission field that's right next door to us right now of people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. To hear it and, and have people walk alongside their families and investing in them and pouring the gospel into those kids together with them. What an opportunity. So many other opportunities to serve as well. If you belong to the church and you're not active in serving somewhere, then it's not beyond reason that you should start to question, do I really belong to the church? 
Doing good and sharing with one another involves giving financially to the church. To care for those who devote their lives to teaching and ministering the body. To enable the church to carry out ministry and do good and show Christ's mercy to the city around us. To enable us to, to support church planning and missionaries to the ends of the earth. Doing good to all, especially to the household of faith, means sowing seeds of belonging. Offering ourselves to one another in service of the gospel. Sowing seeds of, of offering a relational presence. You know, we, we do that extended uh, kind of peacetime here. And in, in every introvert in the room, like, it's like, you know, internally, like, is panicking. Uh, and I'm with you. I'm, I test as an extrovert, but I have a lot of introvert uh, tendencies. And so it's not always my favorite thing personality-wise, uh, that little greeting time there. But there's a reason we do it. Because coming together to worship together is not simply about attending here, uh, singing some songs, hearing a message, and going home. It's about being the church. And in those five minutes, four minutes, whatever it is, I don't look at the clock, but uh, it's an opportunity to bless, to offer a relational presence to someone. Maybe it's just one other person. That would be great to just really spend some time, maybe begin to know them. Maybe observing I think something's going on. Maybe you should ask, are you okay? Can I pray for you? To encourage one another, to offer a relational presence by sowing that seed, living in community together, on mission together, serving, giving. These seeds reap a harvest of belonging, belonging to Christ, belonging to his people, belonging to a family. The church is not an organization. It's, it's a family. It's a family. Belonging to a family that will be there for you in your time of need as you are there for others in theirs. Church is not a service to consume. It's a family to belong to. Are we sowing seeds of belonging? Right? What seeds are you sowing? What are you reaping? Hear this though. It is the gospel. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that empowers your sowing. Good seed in the soil of the Spirit. Jesus sacrificed the riches of heaven. He gave it up in order to come and be born. A helpless baby in impoverished conditions to live in your place. Jesus gave up not, not just a little bit of his time, he gave up his very life on the cross for you. He gave up fellowship with the Godhead in the moment of his death. Perfect fellowship that he had enjoyed for all eternity. As he suffered the penalty for your sins that you deserve. The full cup of God's wrath poured out on him in your place. Would you look at the cross and see all that Jesus has given for you. To love you, to rescue you to reconcile you, to secure your righteousness and your acceptance before God. Does that not make you just a little bit curious to know a little bit more about him, why he would do that? Let his love and his devotion to you empower your love and your devotion to him. Let that move you to want to read his word to want to listen to his voice, to want to share your heart in prayer with him. Consider Jesus, who did not grow weary in doing good to all and to you. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross in your place. Consider that so that you might not grow weary in doing good to all, and especially to those who belong to your family in the church. Let his giving move you to give. Let his serving move you to serve. Let his mercy move you to extend his mercy to others who need it. May his love for you empower deep and abiding love between us as a family more and more. And may Jesus use the way that we love and we serve and we care for one another. May he use that as an, as an outpost for the gospel that we might actually be a city on a hill that people are drawn to. What is going on there? 
Not because we're awesome, but because we worship an awesome Savior. And we can point them to Him. May we draw more and more people to Christ for His glory and our joy. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper together as a family, right? That's what we do each week. Sowing seeds as we do this of of holiness and belonging. As we take of the one loaf, right? We take of the cup. We remember Christ's body that was broken, His blood that was shed for us. Friends, this meal is a foretaste, a foretaste of the feast and the great harvest that awaits us when Christ returns in glory and we gather together with Him. Believers, you're invited as we continue here to come forward to share in this meal. We uh, take it here by breaking off a piece of the bread, uh, dipping in the cup. We offer juice and wine to take as your conscience leads. Wine is in the glasses marked with twine. Um, If you're not a believer in in Christ, this is a meal that's reserved for Christians. And so the invitation for you is to look at the gospel, to look at the cross, to consider Christ's love for you, and to respond by trusting Him in saving faith. There'll be pastors and prayer responders here in the back. We'd love to pray with you, visit with you about anything that's going on. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for your love for us. And we pray by your grace that your love would empower a deeper love, an abiding love for you in our hearts. A love not just with our, 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 our emotions and our words, Lord, but a, a, a love that we follow through on with our actions, with our thoughts. May we sow seeds to the Spirit and increasingly seeing the goodness you have shown us, letting that move us to, to devote our lives to to being in your word, being in prayer, to being in fellowship with with believers, caring for one another, serving one another, looking out at the the needs around us in the, the neighborhood and the city, being an outpost for the gospel because you have come for us. You have come to rescue us, Lord. We live to, to point others to you. Like more and more, Lord, would you make that true of this community that we would be a family? for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of many people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.